Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good morning. How are we doing today, Summit family? Great to see you. Thanks for worshiping with us today. I want to welcome all of you that are watching online. No matter where you may be or how you may be joining us, we're so grateful that you've taken time out of your day to allow us to be a part of it. We pray that God blesses you as you worship with us. Uh, my name is Mel Massingale. I'm one of the pastors here. And again, I want to say thanks for being here and worshiping with us. Hope you have an incredible day. A couple things I want to mention to you real quickly. Uh, next weekend, uh, we've got a special guest will be with us. I want to let you know about that. Pastor Jim Hennessy is going to be preaching next weekend here. He's one of my pastors. Uh, he's a guy that, uh, that he's been here with us many times. But uh, man, I love him so much, and he is a special person to me. Leads a fantastic church, and, uh, and I'm excited about him being with us. So make sure you are here next weekend. You will not regret it, I promise. Uh, so join us next weekend for that. Also want to let you know we've got a change coming to Saturday nights. Um, when we first started our, our return after quarantine, we went back to our normal four services, even though we knew we probably wouldn't need them. And part of that was because we wanted to create enough space for people to move between the services if they need to. So if we ran out of space in one, they could go to another one. And we feel like we've kind of established a pattern now. And so I wanted to let you guys know that we're going to be, for the time being, we're combining our Saturday night services down to one service. So we're going to have a five o'clock service on Saturdays starting next Saturday night. So this next weekend, we're going to have one on Saturday, two on Sunday. So Sunday won't be impacted at all, but Saturday night, our service time will be 5 p.m. So if you'd like to join us for our 5 p.m. Saturday night service, we'd love for you to join us. Um, feel free to do that, but we just wanted you to be aware of that. So if you showed up at 4.30 or 6.30, you would not be unaware of that. For some people, you need to plan to be there at 4.30 anyway in order to actually get to the five o'clock service on time. So let's be honest about that. I stand in the lobby. It was funny, even during the quarantine, uh, you know, like if I'm online watching with you guys, I can see when people are logging on to Facebook and watching. And it was funny, some of the same people that still show up 20 minutes late to church were still showing up 20 minutes late to church online. It's like, all right, whatever. So uh, anyway, so just wanted to make you aware of those things. Um, as far as Saturday night goes, I want you guys to know this. Uh, it is not in my nature to eliminate a service. That um, is hard for me to do that because I don't want to ever retreat. I want us to continue to take ground. But I want you to know I'm expecting that we will be adding the fourth service back sooner rather than later. Um, and so I'm not concerned. Don't, please don't read into that as it's any sort of uh, indication of how we're doing as a church. Our church is doing really, really, really well right now. I'm very grateful for how God is blessed and, uh, and how he's working. Uh, but we just felt like at this time we can come on our services and it's not gonna hurt us. We're gonna continue to be able to reach people at a high and effective level. So with all that said, just wanted to let you know about some of the changes that uh, are coming up, at least for the short term. Tonight, or today we are finishing up our series that we started in the book of Jonah. And we started four weeks ago, and this is part four, and I would encourage you, if you've missed it, uh, go back and listen and get caught up, because there are things that we have built on that I'm not going to be able to touch on today that are important for you to know for where we're at and for the context for today. But just to give you a brief recap, in Jonah chapter one, God speaks to Jonah, and he says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. And Jonah says, no, thank you. And he goes the opposite direction. He gets on a boat. He sets sail. God sends a storm. 
And, uh, and Jonah tells the sailors, if you want the storm to end, throw me overboard. Uh, throw me to my death, basically, is what he's saying. So they throw him overboard. The storm ends. The sailors uh, surrender their lives to God. They're transformed. Um, Jonah thinks he's about to die. But instead, God sends a great fish to swallow him, swallows the Jonah up, and he spends the next three days and three nights in the belly of this great fish. Now, I don't know if you remember the Walt Disney movie Pinocchio. Does anybody remember that? A few of you? Okay. You know what happens in the belly of the whale? Uh, like Pinocchio shows up and Geppetto is in there. Like Geppetto's like fishing and he's got a little campfire going. He's like camping out in the belly of the whale. And this is what I used to imagine Jonah was doing in this three days and three nights, but that is probably not the case. He probably didn't have a campfire going in there, <laughs> fishing for, you know, whatever the, the whale had swallowed. Um, so he was probably just praying, I would imagine. If you were in the belly of a great fish, wouldn't you be praying the whole time, I would imagine? So he's praying um, at the end of Jonah chapter two, uh, God tells the, the great fish to spit him out and he vomits him up on dry land. And he uh, then proceeds, he hears from God again, and he proceeds to go to Nineveh to preach. So this is where we were at last week. We went through Jonah chapter three. At the end of Jonah chapter three, we see in verse eight, uh, the king of Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian empire, uh, the most powerful empire in the world at that time, uh, the king of, of Nineveh says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So what he says is, we need to change what we're doing. We need to change our culture. What we thought was okay is no longer okay. Something's got to change. And then verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said, that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So God sees how they respond. His heart is moved by that. He has compassion on them, and he, he extends mercy, and he doesn't bring judgment on them. So that's where we left it last week, and we're gonna pick up today in Jonah chapter four, verse one, and it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, I, I told you over the last few weeks, one of the things about the book of Jonah is we see people uh, behaving in ways that we don't expect them to behave. We see people doing things you don't expect them to do. Um, we see Jonah, who's a prophet, run from God. We see the men in the boat in chapter one who uh, they throw Jonah overboard and, and they see God move. Their hearts are changed and they surrender their lives to God. Um, we see um, all these things going on, people behaving in ways we don't expect. And what we see here in chapter three is Jonah sees the people of Nineveh respond in a way he didn't expect. He did not expect them to repent. He did not expect them to turn because he knew that these people are wicked. They are brutal. They're evil. And he goes, man, I'm going to go preach, but nothing's going to happen. Sure enough, something happened. He was surprised by this. He didn't expect it to happen. Then something else happened that he didn't expect, and that's when God relented. God changed his mind. God decided to have mercy on these people because of what they did. Both of these things surprised Jonah. God did something he didn't expect, and if we're gonna be honest about it, Jonah threw a fit. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. He responded in a way we don't expect because you would think the prophet who was sent by God to preach would see this massive revival 
And, and Jonah would have been like, man, that's why I came. I came for this reason. Thank you, God, for letting me be a part. But he didn't. How did he respond? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was mad. He was angry. And he prayed and said, God, this is the thing that's interesting to me. So we've, I kind of spoiled this part of the story for you. If you're reading this story from scratch, if you've never read it before, um, then you don't know why Jonah ran in the first place. We could assume some things or infer some things, but we don't know. And then we get to Jonah chapter four, and he says, here is why I ran when you told me to go. And he says, basically, I'm not gonna read it again, but he basically says, God, you are a merciful, gracious God. And he quotes scripture back to God, which I think is a bold thing to do. He quotes scripture back to God and says, I knew you would do this. You are so merciful and gracious that I knew you would extend mercy to these people. And these people don't deserve your mercy, God. These people are wicked, they're evil, they don't deserve your mercy. And I knew you would do that. And you know what, God, I don't like it. And I'm upset by this and I'm angry by this. And you know what, maybe it's just better if I die. Please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Wow, what, what a, a crazy response. Um, and you're gonna see, Jonah just gets, he ratchets up the drama more and more. Have you ever had somebody in your life that they just, turn the, 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 the drama up a notch. You know, every, every time you think you've maxed out, you're at 10, they go, no, 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 I'll turn it up to 11. It's like, oh my gosh, more drama, here it is. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't tell this story, but I'm gonna tell this story. Abby, I'm sorry. My oldest daughter turned 18 this week, and, um, and she is not drama anymore, but when I'm reading this story in Jonah chapter four, it reminds me when, when I think, I don't know if Emma was born yet. Abby was about three years old. We were sitting in our living room and uh, I believe she was dressed in like a princess dress and we had told her no about something as good parents should do, by the way. You tell your kids no once in a while and we told her child no about something and she storms out. I mean, like drunk, boom, boom, boom. She's walking out and just as she gets to the door to go back to her, the hallway to her bedroom, she turns and she goes, you're ruining my wife. And she turns around and storms off. Wow, that is a bold statement, right? Like her, her life is derailed. It is all downhill from here. She, she, had this, she had this great road that she was on and now at three, it's all, it's, we've ruined it. It's a mess now. Anyway, like that's a smidge dramatic, right? But you would expect that from a three-year-old. You don't expect that from, from the prophet of God. You don't expect the man of God to be dramatic, to be, to be full of this kind of response when, when God is clearly moving and God has clearly done something. So he says, God, it's better if I die than if I live. And in Jonah chapter four, verse four, the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? I love this question. Do you do well to be angry? Uh, another way it's asked in different interpretations or in different versions is, um, what reason do you have to be so angry? I can imagine God saying something like, if I'm not angry about this, why are you so angry about this? In the world we live in today, it is a world that's full of anger. I don't know if you've noticed that. Has anybody seen that? If you're not aware of why you should be angry or outraged, if you just watch TV long enough, they will tell you. If you get on social media, they will tell you why you should be angry and outraged. Um, and so outrage is all around us. And, and when I think about this, I just think about the times. And by the way, um, I, I wanna, this is a pro tip I want to help you with. 
I have largely been off Facebook for about the last six or seven weeks, and I've never loved human beings more than I do right now. It's amazing how much more I love humans when I'm not on Facebook and I don't see all the drama and all the mess and all the junk and all the issues because what happens is we'll get on social media and somebody will post something and maybe they post it and it's kind of hateful and it's kind of contrary to something I believe and I'll read it and the more I read it, the madder I get and I can feel it like rising in me and the steam starts to come out of my ears and before you know it, you're angry typing and angry typing is not just like Angry typing is like as hard as you can because you want them to feel the emotion of your typing. And it's even more awkward if you're on your phone because then you're doing it like this, like as hard as you can with your thumbs. Or maybe as maybe you're like me and my girls make fun of me sometimes. I'm a single finger writer. So it's even slower then. It's just awkward. So you're angry responding. I'm going to show them that I'm right and they're wrong and they're dumb for thinking the way they think. And, and I think the Holy Spirit's asking us the same question that, that God was asking Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? Why are, you, why are you getting upset about that when maybe God's not even upset about that? Why are you angry about something that maybe God doesn't care anything about? One of the ways this is asked in the New Living Translation, it says, is it right for you to be angry about this? And that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Is this something that it's right for me to be angry about? Is it, it's okay for us to disagree about things, but is it okay for me to be angry about this? For me to, to lose control, get upset, get angry about something that maybe I shouldn't be angry about? Do you do well to be angry? He's gonna circle back to that question again in just a little bit. Verse five says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. This is just a crude, uh, a crude um, like lean-to or just a way to kind of shelter himself. It goes on to say, he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So this is, I just want to help you with this. If you are ever in an argument or a disagreement with somebody and they respond and just walk away, it means you won. They might not acknowledge that you won, but you won, okay? You won the argument and you can, you stop. You don't have to say anything else. In fact, let me help you even more. If you are a man and you are in the very rare instance that this happened in your marriage or in your relationship and the woman is walking away, it means you've won. So stop talking. Because if you say anything else, she will murder you and the judge will let her off because you probably deserved it at that point, okay? So if, if you ever win the argument with your wife or your spouse, just let her walk away because you won. Just you know, you got it. Like, give yourself some props for that. And don't say a word. You got it, okay? But you should know. You won. And this is what happens. God says, do you do, do, you do well to be angry about this? And Jonah doesn't even respond. <sighs> he stomps off. I'll show you. And he goes and he sets up camp east of town. And basically what he's doing, it's kind of like when we go to watch fireworks on the 4th of July. You remember when we used to go gather and watch fireworks on the 4th of July? And we'd... You go and you set up, you put your blankets out, your chairs, whatever it is, and you're ready for the action. You're ready to see everything happen. And I think Jonah is hoping that maybe the Ninevites are gonna mess this up and God's gonna just rain down terror and fury upon them. I think that's what he's hoping for. So he goes and sets up camp and he's just gonna watch and see what happens. And he's waiting there. Verse six is this. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So what do we see? 
Jonah's sitting there, he's waiting uh, geographically where he's at. It's north of the Persian Gulf. Um, somewhere around modern-day Iraq is where he is, um, northern Iraq. So it's, it's arid, it's desolate, it's hot, uh, and he's in the middle of the sun. And so God sends a plant. He dispatches this plant. It grows up and it creates some shade for him. And one of the interesting things about this that I, I love that I find fascinating, it says, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. This is the one time we see in the book of Jonah that he was glad about anything. It doesn't say he was glad when God sent the great fish to, to save him from death. It doesn't say that he was glad when God dispatched him to go preach the gospel to a foreign nation. It doesn't say he was glad about anything that happened up to the point where God gave him a plant to give him some shade. And it says he was exceedingly glad for the plant. Now I'm gonna come back to this part in just a minute. So just put a pin in that, we'll come back to it. Verse seven, <laughs> God, I love God's style. God, well done, God. Listen to what God does here. Verse seven. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. <laughs> Jonah had one day with his precious plant and God sent a worm that, that ate it. Verse eight. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> Poor Jonah, wow. How unlucky is this guy, right? That's what you might think if you just saw this story. Man, bad luck, Jonah, sorry, dude. That is not the case at all. Uh, what we see in chapter one, uh, Jonah runs from God, he gets in the boat to, to flee from God, literally the totally opposite direction from where God wants him to go, and God sends a storm. And I mentioned this to you a couple weeks ago, I just wanna remind you of this. Every unrepentant sin in our life attracts storms. There is a reckoning for every unrepentant sin that we are living in. There is, there is a reckoning coming for us because sin attracts storms. It is going to happen. Now, just because you have a storm doesn't mean there's unrepentant sin because we live in a fallen world and sometimes storms happen, sometimes things happen. What we see in Jonah's case though is he was in rebellion to God and that rebellion was attracting a storm. So God, he appoints a storm to come to get Jonah's attention, but it doesn't get Jonah's attention. And in fact, what we see there was the, this, this desire to die rather than do what God was asking him to do. So we've seen this fleshed out where he said several times now, I would rather die than do what you're asking me to do. So, so, so Jonah, he doesn't wanna commit suicide. He tells the guys to throw him overboard so that he can die. His intent is that he will die when he goes overboard. So he goes overboard, the storm ends. The, the, the men turn to God and in that moment he is sinking to his death seemingly and God appoints a great fish to swallow him. Now, we might think of that as a rescue, but if you're Jonah and you were hoping to die, that doesn't feel like a rescue. That feels like torture. It feels like God is, is playing games with him. So God appoints this, and it makes him even more uncomfortable. He's uncomfortable in the first place going to where he doesn't want to go, doing what he doesn't want to do. He doesn't want to do it, so he goes the opposite. He's uncomfortable. God makes him uncomfortable in the belly of the whale. What do we see here? Uh, God appoints this 
this, this plant to grow up over him. And you think it's to make him comfort, uh, comfortable, but ultimately, I think it's to bring him discomfort because God then appoints the worm. He sends the worm. It, it eats the plant. It makes him uncomfortable. He sends the east wind. The, the sun is beating down on him. He's uncomfortable. And this is one of the biggest myths that we believe in Western culture and Western church is that God sent his son Jesus, yes, so we could go to heaven, but in the meantime, he sent him to make us really comfortable. He, he sent Jesus to make us happy. And I think we've believed this myth that if I just say a prayer, if I just give my life to Jesus, then my marriage is gonna be perfect, my finances are gonna be perfect, my kids are gonna be perfect, I'm gonna have everything I ever wanted. My wildest dreams will come true if I just say this prayer, if I just surrender my life to God. And that is false. That has set people up for some disappointment because God didn't send Jesus to make us comfortable. God sent Jesus to bring dead people to life. God didn't send Jesus just to help us be nicer. God sent Jesus to transform our hearts. So what we see here is God appointed these things to make Jonah uncomfortable. And I believe God will appoint some things in your life to make you uncomfortable because it's in your discomfort that we hear most clearly from God most of the time. When we're comfortable, we don't normally hear from God very well. When things are good, when everything's clicking along and going great, sometimes we're, we're deaf to God. But I am telling you, we are receptive to God whenever we find out that there's a problem with our kids, that they're involved in something they shouldn't be involved in. We are receptive to God when we find out that there's an issue in our marriage that maybe we were unaware of. We are receptive to God when we find out we just got laid off and there's, they're cutting our hours or, or we're not gonna be able to pay the bills. We are receptive to God in those moments. And those are the moments we're most uncomfortable. But those are the moments we go, okay, God, something's gotta change. Something's gotta be fixed here. Whatever you wanna tell me, God, I'm open to it. I'm ready, God, you just tell me. Why? Because we're uncomfortable. And we resist discomfort with everything that's in us. We think if we're uncomfortable, it must be outside the will of God. But I'm telling you, God will appoint things into our lives to make us uncomfortable, and it helps us stay in the middle of God's will for our lives. But Jonah... He was not having any of that. So, remember what he said. God, you killed my plant. I want to die. This is a response in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you well, do well to be angry about the plant? And he said, Jonah responds, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Remember, at the beginning of this story, in chapter one, when we were doing the intro, I told you, Jonah was not a good prophet. He was not. He was not a godly man. And we see that borne out in his response. How petulant is this guy? How immature is this guy? That he is so upset about this plant. God, you took away my plant. I would rather die. Then live without the plant. I thought you loved me because you gave me the plant. Now you took it away. Who do you think you are? Now, it's easy for us to be critical of Jonah, isn't it? It's easy for us to look at him and go, man, what, what, what an infant. Can you believe anybody would act like that? But the thing about Jonah, the, the thing about Jonah is this. Uh, what we see here 
is this is Jonah's final words in the book of Jonah. This is the last we hear from Jonah. And we love stories where everything's resolved at the end. You know, the, the movies where at the end the couple gets together and it works out and they live happily ever after. We love the stories where Jonah would fall to his knees and a light shine down and he says, I am yours, God, I repent. And like everything would be resolved. That's not how the story ends. And I think the, the author, the writer of the story of Jonah did this in such a way so that the readers w- would have to hold a mirror up to themselves so that we would see ourselves in some of the characters of the story. We would relate to them in such a way that it wouldn't just be a story we read, but it would be a story that we apply to our own lives. Because it's easy to look at Jonah and go, man, Jonah, I can't believe the way he acted. I can't believe he would rather die than serve a God who would show mercy to Jonah's enemies, because that's what he was saying. I would rather die than serve a God who does things different than I would do them. God, I thought you were good. And if you're good, you would not do what you're doing. You would not show mercy to my enemies because they don't deserve it. Right? But, but how many times have we said, God, um, man, I love you. Things are going well. And as soon as things go bad, as soon as we get the layoff notice, as soon as we get the bad news, as soon as we find something out, that's when we go, God, can I even trust you? Are you even good? Because if you were good, you would do things the way I'm asking you to do them. You would fall into line with my purposes and my plans, God. Because if you're really good, this is how you would handle my situation. And then when God doesn't handle it that way, that's when we go, well, God, I don't even know if I can go to church anymore. God, I don't even know if I can go to my small group. If you're gonna, if you're gonna be like that, it throws our world into a mess. See, Jonah's, Jonah's, theology and his doctrine was just turned upside down because he thought God looked like he looked, thought like he thought, believed like he believed, voted for the same candidate he voted for. (laughs) And when Jonah found out that wasn't the truth, it messed him up. When he realized, wait a second, God thinks differently than I think, there's something wrong with God. That was the conclusion he came to. There must be something wrong with God. And through this whole thing, God is trying to help Jonah see. He's drawing this line in the sand and going, Jonah, let's look at how we look at things and value things. Jonah, um, you, you value a plant over people. Let me read this next verse. Verse 10, it says, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor and did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city? in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. That last phrase where he says also much cattle, let me just explain this. This isn't that God liked him some beef. <laughs> He's like, make sure you save the cattle because I want a good steak. A porterhouse would be nice right about now. That's not what he was saying. God, uh, this is like a tongue-in-cheek statement. What he's basically saying is, if you don't care about the people, do you at least care about the animals? Will you at least have pity on the animals if you don't have pity on the people? But what we see is God says this. He says, you pity the plant for which you didn't labor at all. You didn't do anything to make it grow. It was alive for one day, literally. It rose in the night and it died the next night. And you pity that, but you don't pity the people of Nineveh. He says, you care about a plant more than you do people. 
And so he draws this line in the sand. He says, hey, let's think about the differences. This is the way you value and you think, and this is what you do, and this is what you think I should be doing as well. But he says, but I value people over the plant. And let's remember why he valued the plant. He valued the plant because of what it did for him. It gave me shade. It gave me comfort. This was about me. It wasn't about God and his purposes and his kingdom. It was totally about Jonah. And so many times when we throw our fits about how God doesn't answer our prayers or do what we want want him to do, it's about us. It's not about his kingdom. We never get mad at God because his kingdom's not advancing the way it should. We get mad because God didn't do what we wanted him to do. You didn't take care of me. You didn't heal me. You didn't bless me. You didn't give me what I wanted. I thought that relationship was gonna work out. I thought that was the man for me, the woman for me. And God's rolling his eyes as you say that. He's like, I didn't send that person to you. You just found them, right? And God, if you really love me, why would you take them away? Little did we know God is doing us a favor. But we think God is out to get us. We think God is angry. We think, how can I even trust this God who thinks the way he thinks and acts the way he acts and lives the way he lives? But the whole time, God was trying to bring Jonah into alignment with his heart. God wasn't punishing Jonah. God was trying to correct Jonah. God was trying to get Jonah in a place where they could walk together as one. But Jonah didn't see that. Jonah was so focused on what God didn't do and how God worked outside of Jonah's plans that it was lost on him. So basically what God is saying is, aren't people more important than a plant? Aren't people more important than your comfort? And if I asked you as a church, if I said to to those of you in the room and those of you watching online, are people more important than our comfort? I think all of us would respond yes. Even if all it was was peer pressure. Like, yeah, yeah, people are more important than our comfort. But then when we start getting into the nitty gritty, that's when we'd be like, ooh, I don't know. That's where churches fall apart all the time because they go, yeah, we value people. We want to win lost people for Jesus. Well, okay. Well, how about if we, uh, we update the auditorium a little bit so lost people might feel more comfortable coming in? Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. Well, why not? Well, I mean, my granddad laid this carpet. And it's like, yeah, it was in 1951. It's like, I know, but this is, no, we can't do that. Well, we're gonna change the front of the room. No, we can't do that. That's where I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Okay, great. Somebody else needs to too. Why don't we, why don't we adjust? But people go, no, 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 I'm more comfortable. I value my comfort over my, the people. That's what we really get down to. I have my preferences, and those are more important than, than people. And what happens is we think God should look like us and think like us, and the whole time God's trying to shift us to look more like him. See, this whole time God is trying to get Jonah's attention, but, but Jonah could not hear from God because God acted in a way that was contrary to Jonah's understanding. And he was so prideful, he could not come to the point where he said, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe something in me needs to shift instead of God. I think that's where many of us are. One of the ironic things about this whole story is in in Jonah chapter three, when the king, the the verse I read earlier, Jonah chapter three, verse eight, the king says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. That word violence means cruelty, It means injustice. And so what the king was saying is we acknowledge our cruelty. We acknowledge our violence. We acknowledge our injustice. We need to turn from that. Something's wrong with us. And yet Jonah, who's doing the preaching, he never recognized the violence that was in his own hand. 
He didn't recognize his own injustice, his own biases, his own, his own racism. He didn't recognize it. He saw theirs, but not his own. So this is one of the reasons why he said, I, don't, I deserve mercy, but they don't deserve your mercy. These people are wicked. I'm not wicked. I'm, I'm Jewish, and I'm a prophet. I'm a good guy. I'm moral. I take care of my kids. I'm, I'm good. He justified it. And he failed, he failed to see the prevailing theme of the book of Jonah is the mercy of God. How big and rich and full and deep the mercy of God really is. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love this because it's just a reminder to us that God's mercies are big. His loving kindness never ends. It extends forever. That is, his mercies are without end. It says they're new every single day. I don't know about you. I need new mercies every day. (laughs) Every single day, I need more mercy from God because I'm an idiot sometimes. And I say some stupid stuff. And I do some stupid things. And I need new mercies. And Jonah would have agreed. He would have said, yeah, I I, I, I need mercy of the Lord. But where that ended is because Jonah applied that in a very narrow sense to himself. I deserve mercy because of who I am. I'm a good guy. I'm Jewish. I'm a prophet. I deserve mercy. But the second God said, hey, your enemies deserve mercy, that's when Jonah was like, no, 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 you got this wrong. No, 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 your mercies aren't that big, God. Now, for you, as you're sitting here today, Sorry, my beard just took over. <laughs> As you're sitting here today, maybe you would look at this situation and you go, well, hey, I don't hate a people group. Okay, that's fine. Um, but do you think God's mercy is so big it can extend to that person who betrayed you? That person who said they would always be there but left? That boss who uh, did you wrong and ran you off? That person who, who trashed you on social media? That friend who, who you thought they would be faithful, but they weren't, they were subversive? Do you think God's mercy can extend to them as well? Because that's how big God's mercy is. See, throughout scripture, we see this idea, this prevailing idea that we love our enemies. And and Pastor Todd mentioned this earlier, but in Romans chapter five, there's a passage that says, God shows his love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God displays his love for us in that while we were sinners, we didn't deserve the mercy of God. God gave us mercy anyway. And then it goes on to say in verse 10 that, that we were once enemies to God, but we've been reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ. So even though we were enemies, God still gave us mercy and reconciled us. So I want you to hear what I'm saying today. What I'm telling you today is, um, yes, we need to extend mercy. Yes, we need to be kind. Yes, we need to be loving. But more than that, we need to begin to look like God. Because what I don't want you to do is just simply adjust your behavior. I don't want you to just be nicer or more kind or more moral. All those things are good, but that is not enough. What needs to happen fundamentally is I need to look more like 
God than I ever have before. I need to begin to be formed into his likeness more and more and more. There needs to be less of me and more of God at work in me every single day. The world doesn't need a group of nice people. What the world needs is a group of people who've been transformed by the power of God for the glory of God. That we begin to look like God in how we value, what we think, how we act. Because it's not enough for us to be kind and nice. See, God didn't want Jonah just to do the right thing. He wanted him to begin to look like him. That's why he kept drawing this line and going, hey, here's how you think. Here's what you value, but here's what I value. And Jonah kept saying, no, 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 you need to change. And what God is saying is, no, you need to change. There's a passage in Matthew chapter five. Last verse I'm gonna read. Go ahead and call them up. Come on up, Todd. In Matthew chapter five, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking. He said, you've heard it said, so there's a saying, you shall love your neighbor but hate your enemy. And Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So, so this is what he says. He says, you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. So what he's saying is evidence of your sonship or daughtership is in how you treat your enemies. He goes on to say, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more do you, are you doing than any other? Do not even Gentiles do the same? And then listen to verse 48. He says this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, this feels like a really tall order that he's saying we have to achieve perfection. And that's not what it's saying. This word perfect here can be translated as matured. And so think about it this way. Um, the older I get, the more like my dad I realize I'm becoming. <laughs> for some of you, you've probably recognized the same thing in your own life. This can be a good thing or a bad thing at times. You gotta be the judge for yourself. But I've recognized some things in my life that I... I behave like my dad. I act like my dad. I think like my dad. I say things that I go, ooh, that sounds like something Melvin would have said. And what we see here, what, what, what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter five is this idea that as Christians, as followers of Christ, the, the more mature we become, the more we should resemble our father. The more mature we become, the more we're gonna stop saying, God, you gotta think like I think. And the more we realize that we're starting to think like God thinks. We're starting to value people the way God values people. We're starting to love the way that God loves. Because so many of us, we get frustrated because God doesn't look like we think he should look. He doesn't do what we expect him to do. We get frustrated when he doesn't answer our prayer the way we think he should. And we think the problem is with God or the church. No, the problem is with us. God wants us to change and sometimes he makes us uncomfortable so we will recognize the things that need to change in us. Sometimes there are things that come along that he appoints so that we will go, maybe something in my heart needs to change. And the thing that's crazy about this story is we see it in all the lost people of this story. They all recognize that change needs to happen. But Jonah, it never does. And this is the tragedy of the book of Jonah that there are people who, who believe they're Christians who are gonna come to church every week and they're checking their box and they're doing their thing, but they're never changed, they're never transformed, they're just simply religious. 
And Jonah was religious, as religious as they came, but he never understood relationship with God. He never understood intimacy with God. So my prayer for you today is simple. Number one, if you're here today and you've never experienced the mercy of God, you've never experienced what it, what it really means to be forgiven, have your slate wiped clean, my prayer is that you will accept that, that you'll receive the free gift of mercy and grace that God has for you today. And the second thing is this, I know that there are believers in this room, that there are people that you are going to heaven and the Holy Spirit's been kind of hitting one of the sensitive spots in your heart during this message, that there are some things maybe you thought were normal or you thought, man, God looks like this and if God would just begin to work this way, then my life would be better. And maybe you need to stop trying to shape God into your image and, and allow God to shape you into his image. So I think there are probably some people in this room, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about some areas or some things that maybe he wants you to let go, let down, let, let go of and just walk away from and say, okay, hey, this, there's a mindset, there's an idea, there's a way I was raised that I just thought this was normal, but I recognize now that's not normal. I need to lay that down. So that's my prayer for you today. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your incredible mercy in our lives. Thank you that you extend mercy to people who clearly don't deserve it. God, there's nothing I could do to earn it. There's no position, no title. There's no amount of morality I can have. There's, there's no level of niceness or kindness that I can achieve to deserve your mercy. But thank you that you extend it to us freely. Even when we were enemies, you, you sent Jesus to, to pay the price while I was yet sinners, while I was a sinner, while we were sinners. So Lord, I pray we would recognize that today. I pray for those that are here that don't know you. They've never surrendered their life to you. They've never accepted your mercy. I pray that today would be the day they would recognize your goodness and your kindness and they would respond to that. Lord, I pray for those that are here that are believers, but maybe they recognize today they've been trying to shape you into their image instead of letting you shape them into your image. I pray that today would be the day we would surrender it all to you. Every idea, every thought, every dark nook and cranny of our heart would be exposed to you and, and we would give it freely to you and let you do whatever you want to with us. So God, have your way among us. Now with nobody looking around, I just wanna ask, if you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, I, I recognize today that, that I'm not walking with Christ, I'm not in relationship with Jesus, I, I've not really experienced the mercy of God, but I want to today. I, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life, I wanna surrender my life to him. I'm not gonna hold anything back. I'm not gonna embarrass you or make you come forward, but if that was you and you say, Mel, I wanna be included in this final prayer, would you just put your hand up real high where I can see it and you put it right back down. If you'd say to me, Mel, pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life today. I wanna experience his mercy. Okay. If you're here today and you'd say, Mel, you know what, I know I'm a Christian, but the truth is I found that I try to shape God into my image too many times. And I need, I need God's help to shape me into his image. Would you be bold enough to, to raise your hand or respond and say, pray for me, that's me? Yeah, yeah, a whole bunch of you. Yeah, thank you for your honesty, I appreciate it. God, thank you for your incredible love. Thank you for your mercy that never ends. God, I pray that as your kids, we would begin to be shaped into your image. 
God, as we mature, as we grow, Lord, we would find ourselves responding like you respond and, and behaving like you behave. And God, we repent for the times that we got frustrated or angry when you didn't do what we thought you should do. God, we repent for the times that our pride told us that we were right and you were wrong. So God, right now, corporately, we just ask you to forgive us. And we ask, we invite you to make us uncomfortable so that we can be changed into your image more and more. God, we invite you to do what you wanna do in our lives so that we can become your image bearers in a greater way, so we can look like you. So God, there, there would be less of me and more of you at work in me every single day. So Lord, we just repent of our pride, of our selfishness. We repent of the times that we valued people over plants or valued plants over people. And we ask you today to shift our vision and our values to align with you. So Lord, have your way with us. We love you and we thank you for what you're doing. And God, we don't wanna be people who just attend church, but God, I pray that you would make us people who look like you because that's what this community needs. That's what this world needs. So God, help us not rest until we become people who resemble our Lord and Savior. God, have your way among us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, guys, if you need prayer today, um, we don't have our, our prayer team at the front of the room, but we are continuing to pray. And if there's anything you need prayer about, there's a couple things you can do. The first thing is, uh, there's a card in the seat back in front of you. You can fill that out. It says, uh, need prayer. And if you'll fill that card out and you can drop it off at one of the tables as you're exiting the building or in the offering box as you're going out the main door, let us know about your prayer need. And we're gonna be praying with you about that. You can also email your prayer need to prayer at summitpa.church. And our prayer team, our prayer chain, our staff, we will all be agreeing with you in your prayer need. And just so you know, if you've, got a, if you've got a confidential need, not everybody is going to see your name and all that kind of stuff. We can pray with you about your need without knowing all the details. Uh, so we use discretion with that. Just wanna let you know. If you're watching online and you'd like somebody to pray with you right now, we would love to do that. And you can hit the, the live prayer button and one of our hosts, one of our prayer team is gonna agree with you right now. So you don't have to wait. Take advantage of that right now. We'd love to agree with you in prayer before we finish up today. Guys, I tell you often, I hope you know it. I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.